he heavily relied on throughout his ministry. And uh, Titus, of course, was a Gentile, one of Paul's converts. Paul uh, called him different names oftentimes throughout Scripture. He referred to him as a son in the faith in Titus chapter number 1, a brother in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 2, a partner and fellow helper in Second Corinthians chapter 8, and he walked in the same spirit in Second Corinthians chapter number 12. So there's a variety of things that we can look at and see the relationship of Paul and Titus. Paul left, Crete, or Paul left Titus there on Crete to help him establish the churches, to help him manage the different things that were going on. And uh, again, he was there to find the right pastor for these different churches that they were starting on the Isle of Crete. And we would probably prefer or refer to him, excuse me, as a church planning missionary, if you would. He was there going and starting in churches and finding somebody locally, uh, again, getting them saved. If God called them to take over to that church, uh, again, it was what he was trying to do there on the Isle of Crete. But here in the book of Titus, Paul was trying to help him lay down some groundwork, if you would, and uh, get the right type of man to become the pastor of these various churches. Now, this is one of the three books that we refer to as a pastoral epistle. And this morning you may be saying, well, I'm not a pastor. Why do I need this book? Well, there's some things that we can learn from it. Obviously, uh, we understand that the uh, entire Bible was written for our learning and our education to help us in the ministry, to help us serve and do whatever God has called us to do. So let's look here in Titus chapter 1. We'll look at uh, verses 10 through 13 this morning. Titus chapter 1, beginning of verse number 10, says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of, the, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Grecians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. In our text this morning, we find a warning that is given by the Apostle Paul to Titus, and again, although Titus was a very strong believer, he understood what he believed. There's some things he needed to get uh, as far as getting churches established and finding the right man of God to work here. But let's have a word of prayer as we get started this morning. Lord, I do love you. Again, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to stand before your people, to be able to present the message that you have given. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to take this uh, the right way, to understand it is your inspired word that is here to help us to, uh, again, allow us to, to draw closer to you, to become a better, stronger believer, as your word calls us to do. And I ask, pray, Lord, that you would help us be attentive to uh, what it says and allow us to, uh, again, just allow the, the spirit of God to, to work in our hearts, Lord, to direct us and guide us. Lord, to lead us in whatever way we need to go. And Lord, I pray that you just speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, we love you. Again, we do thank you for all that you've done. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So stop and think about something for a moment. Have you ever been tricked into something or duped into believing something that wasn't true? Probably we could all say we have uh, been in that type of situation before. You know, there's a lot of old wives' tales. There's some home remedies or some myths that people put a lot of stock into things that are not true at all. 
Now, there are some that are very helpful and beneficial, yes, but there are some things that people say that aren't necessarily true at all. And some believe that they can come to church and they think this is the safest, most congenial, um, most respected place on earth. That's not the case oftentimes. Again, there's a lot of things that can happen in churches that are wrong, that are bad, that, uh, again, we have this mindset of, of what we think church should be like and the way it truly is. Now, should it be a place of, of safe haven? Yes, it should be. Should it be a, a place where we can come together and not have to worry about those things? Yes. But there are things that happen. There are people in here that are sick. We understand that this, the church is the, for the spiritually sick. Those that come to church are the ones that need help from the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I need it every day. Uh, and again, so me coming here this morning, reading this again, understanding, going back over in my mind, there's some things that I need to change. There's some things I need to fix. I'm just as sick as anybody else in this congregation. But again, this is a place where we come because we need that. This is not a place of perfect people. This is not a place that, uh, where everyone is right and everyone is, is on point all the time. That's not the case at all. Paul was trying to give a warning here to Titus. And although he was helping establish churches and ordain pastors, there was still going to be problems that arise. And just because we're here this morning, we are in church. It's Sunday morning. We've got our Sunday's best on. Got a smile on our face. Everything's wonderful and great. There's still going to be problems. We need to understand that. And that's the first thing we find there in verse number 10 is problems in the church. It's difficult for some people to realize that uh, we live in a small town. This may be the only church you've been a part of, so you're not understanding and knowing that there are problems in every church. There are problems that each one of us have to deal with. There are things that happen inside of here uh, that, again, the Lord has to direct and guide us so we can take care of them, so we can work together to minister to one another and get through these issues and these problems. Paul was exhorting Titus here to stand strong in the doctrine that had been taught. Go back and look at verse number 9. It says, holding fast. Again, hang on to that doctrine. Make sure you understand it. The reason for that was because these false teachers had come into the church. When you have people that are teaching different doctrines, when you have different ideas and beliefs inside of one church, it can cause a lot of problems. It can cause some confusion. It can cause some issues. On top of that, these people that Paul was talking about had become unruly. Unruly means disregarding, uh, restraint, or ungovernable. These false teachers were headstrong in their belief, and no one can change their minds. With that type of demeanor, they were not going to change the ways that they were working and teaching. They were not going to surrender to the authority and the order of the person that was placed over them. And Paul was sharing this warning with these people, with, with uh, again, Titus, as he was trying to get people together to come to the Word of God, and he desiring them to be right with God. And he says, when you're going and you're trying to find these men, these pastors, make sure you're aware of these problems. But you've got to make sure you stand your ground. You've got to make sure you stand on the Word of God. There are things today that people will say that, well, we believe this and we believe that. And again, if it's not found in Scripture, then it won't stand. And this is why it's important to understand what the Bible says. You think... 
Again, this is written for a pastor and his qualifications, but this is exactly for every church member in every church to understand that they believe what the Scripture says and they understand it. They can apply it to their life. Some religions, again, have their own man-made philosophies and their own doctrines and religions that will not stand throughout time. And you can see that. You can see in many churches where they have swayed from, well, we believe this, and, oh, wait a minute, now we believe that, and they're changing this. They're changing that. It's not founded on the Word of God. And it's only going to reveal the falsities in their religion and their belief. This is why it's important we go back to Scripture. We go back to what the Word of God says. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8 tells us, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God will stand forever. We understand what we have is perfect and right in front of us this morning. We don't have to worry about, it. is it true? Is it right? Is it something I need? Yes, to every one of those. It is true. It is perfect. It is what each one needs. And I hope this morning we don't have anyone here that has this idea or falls into the category of being unruly. Disregarding the authority of the Word of God. Most of us would probably say, well, I would never do that. I would never be unruly when, when it comes to church. But Paul also mentions those that were vain talkers. Those who continually brag about themselves. Who think that they are above everyone else. I know we have some in, in some churches that we've been in that had the mentality of, well, uh, I'm smarter than everybody else. And they just kind of parade around uh, sharing what they know with everyone else and correcting them here and correcting them there. And that should not be our mentality. By the way, one of the spiritual gifts is not correction, if you're wondering. If you want to know what that is, I've got a spiritual test right up here if you want to take that. But there are people that think, well, I can correct this person, I can correct that, I am better than them, and so on and so forth. And that's not the idea at all. Again, we are to come together to be unified as a body of believers. There should not be somebody that's a vain talker thinking about themselves. You know, it seems the closer you get to God, the more you reveal how little you know and how big your sins really are. But instead, we often think, well, I'm better than this person, and I'm better than that person. Well, I don't do what this person does, and we compare ourselves among ourselves, and the Bible says we're not wise. So again, we need to be careful about that. The church is not exempt from having these types of vain talkers or deceivers, as Paul continually mentions there. Believe it or not, there's some that attend church for other reasons besides worship. I know that could be a shocker to some. But there are some that have the mentality of, well, I come to church for another social event in my life or in my calendar. Uh, I've got to meet this requirement or I want to talk about these people or go here or go there. There are some people that come to church only to get the latest gossip. Oh, I, I, I just want to pray for them the right way. No, you want to get the gossip. That's what it's about. Oh, I've got to see what's going on in this person's life. Oh, I've got to promote my new business. That's another a mentality that some people have. Oh, I, I, I come to church for this reason and that reason. The reason we come to church is not for any of those things. It's for us to draw closer to God. It's for us to worship the Lord. It's for us to encourage one another. These are some things that, again, we need to be aware of and we need to guard against. It happens in churches. It happens at work. It happens at school. It happens in what we allow into our homes. So, again, we need to be careful. We need to make sure that we're not falling prey to these problems that are going on. And this is why... Paul continues in verse number 11 to give a purposed response. Number two this morning is a purposed response found in verse number 11 again. 
whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. He's saying, hey, Titus, there's a reason you've got to stand up. There's a purpose in pointing out those that are unruly, those deceivers, because you need to put a stop to it. Paul said, you need to stop their mouths. You know, we can be very meanful, we can be very hurtful, misleading with what we allow to come out of our mouths. James wrote an entire chapter just on the power of the tongue. Look back with me, if you would, to James chapter number 3 this morning. I'd love to take time to read this entire chapter and point out a variety of things. But in James chapter 3, uh, again, just let me point out just a couple that we have here. At the beginning, it mentions um, that this chapter, again, how horses are ruled with just a small bit. And again, he mentions how a, a ship is turned about with just a small rudder. But look there with me in verse number 5 of James chapter number 3. It says, even so the, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. A little word, a little jab, a little sight. All these little things can create a fire. And too many times we don't even think about controlling that, that little word. Eh, it doesn't matter much. Yes, it does. It can hurt. It can create so much uh, problems in people's life. Look down to verse number 8 with me. It says, but the tongue can no man tame, for it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The Bible says no one can tame their tongue. How are we to tame this, this mighty beast, this mighty member inside of our mouths? How can we have the right kind of speech? How can we say the right things? It's only possible if we completely give our hearts to God. And that's just not in salvation. That's an everyday action. That's an everyday occurrence. And all that's going through our lives is continually give it to God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So again, if we're continually giving our heart to God, Lord, help me today. Help me to say the right things. Help me to think the right things. Help me to do the right things. Go to the right places and all this. Then that's going to help control this mighty member. That's going to help allow the right things to come out of our mouth. Because none of us are perfect. We're not going to say the, the perfect thing every time. So again, we've got to make sure that we're speaking the right things. If we've got a clean heart, we're following God. The power of the tongue can do so much damage. And Paul mentioned it here that it could subvert houses as well. The word subvert means here to divide, to overthrow, or corrupt. It's amazing how people will come to church with a smile on their face, seem everything is happy, and they go home and talk bad about any, everything and everyone that was in the church. It's dividing houses. We say promote one thing in public, then we go home and everything is different. It's often said that many children who grow up in church stop going once they get out of the home because of hypocrisy. They see how different people act throughout the week. They go to church, they act one way. They go to school, they go to their home, they go to work, whatever. They act completely different. Satan has won many battles inside of homes and inside of churches because we allow ourselves to be drawn away and divided usually on petty issues that have no eternal significance whatsoever. We get caught up with the little things, and we get mad about it, and we allow that to stir our hearts and get uh, overwhelmed and get mad about it, and we become bitter. And that bitterness just continues to, to fester and create more animosity, and the list goes on and on. Jesus said a divided house will not stand. 
Moms and dads need to be unified in their belief, your standards, your direction for your home. Church family, we must be united together, established in the faith, so Satan does not win as he attempts to divide us, because he's going to do it. He's going to try his best to cause us to be divided. He wants us to be divided. He doesn't want us going out and, and sharing the gospel with anyone else. He doesn't want people coming into the church and seeing us unified, worshiping and celebrating together. He would rather see people divided across the aisle that won't talk to this person or that person won't talk to them because of what happened 20 years ago. That's what Satan wants. And this is why it's important that we must stay unified together. We must stand strong for what the Bible teaches. So we can see others again draw closer to the Lord and get saved. Enjoy the salvation that we have. Paul warns Titus here to be careful who he puts in this office of a pastor. Because there are going to be some people that are just seeking after money. Believe it or not, there's people today that are trying or wanting to get in a position of a pastor just to get paid. And the Bible calls them a hireling. They're looking not to, to, to do God's calling or do God's will. They're doing it just to get paid. We've got to understand and we must understand that the pastor of a position is a sacred position. It is a position that is from a calling from God. This is not a job. If this was a job, you know what, I would have punched out a long time ago. But this is a calling that God has given to my life and other pastors as well. So it's something that uh, is important that we follow the calling of God, that we will do what He wants us to do. It's not about the money. It's not about the prestige. Because there's a lot of pastors that don't get either one of those. It's about following God. It's about doing what He wants us to do in our life. And as Paul continued this warning, he quoted by, the name, by, by a man by the name of Epimenides, a classic poet and philosopher from Crete. As you look there in verse number 12, it mentions poet of their own. Poet of their own. Look at verse 12 again. One of themselves, even a poet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, evil bellies. Or slow bellies, excuse me. Paul shared with Titus that this character of the people found here in Crete, that these were all these people were not just those in Crete, but all of mankind. Each and every one of us have a sin-cursed flesh. We all have that same problem of, of, of being liars, of being evil beasts, of being slow bellies, if we allow that spirit to control us. Lying is something that no one has to be taught. You know that? You go back to the nursery and guess what? Uh, they will tell lies. Go back to the, other, the smaller kids and, and they tell lies. Why? Because they want to get what they want. That's how we are. That's our sin-cursed nature. It's not something we learn. Then he goes on to say that they're evil beasts. This idea of an evil beast is someone uh, who is an easy, uh, excuse me, who is uh, destructive in all that they do. Uh, they're, they're beasts of prey. They, they want their, what they want. They have a, a strong desire to get that. They have a cruel disposition, if you would. He also mentioned slow bellies. These are the ones that are lazy that are sluggish, that are glutton. Their bellies have become their gods. And it's sad to say that we have these same type of people in churches all across America today. This person isn't like that person. This family's fighting against that family. And honestly, it's not something that needs to be done. The church is to be a place of unity, a place of love, 
a place where we can forgive and forget. You know, we often say, well, I'll forgive them, but I'll never forget it. Is that very Christ-like? What does Christ do for your sins? 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? We understand that verse. But we also find throughout Scripture that God will remember Him no more. Your sins are cast into the deepest part of the sea. He's hidden behind His back where He sees them no more. He forgets them. Because it's not going to be something that is brought up over and over and over again. Well, this person, that person. Could you imagine what if Jesus did that? Acted like we do sometimes. I'm so thankful he doesn't. Because there's a lot he could hold over my head. But he forgives me. And he forgets them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye shall speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This problem was something that needed to be addressed. And again, Paul told Titus here that he had a pastoral responsibility. That's the fourth thing I want you to see this morning is the pastoral responsibility found in verse number 13. It says, again, this witness is true. Again, this was speaking about that poet, that, that former... Um, the man that I just spoke about who had written in verse number 12. He said, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. We see Paul agreed with what this poet was saying. That some of these men in Crete were liars. They were destructive. They were lazy. And he needed to be aware of what he was getting himself into. And unfortunately, some never view themselves as ever being wrong. Of people like what was mentioned here. And those are the ones Paul was telling them. Look you have to rebuke them sharply. You know anytime somebody does something wrong. We want to be rebuked easily. We want to be rebuked lightly. Just simply corrected. And that should be our starting process. Again that's what he's trying to let him know. Yes you start with that. But there are some that need to be rebuked more than that. Jude chapter, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude 22 and 23 says, and some having compassion, making a difference. They're going to rebuke, they're going to have compassion on correcting you and getting you to go the right way. But verse 23 says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There are some that you can correct lightly and can continue to go on. I stop and think about my kids. You know, there are some that I could correct lightly. I could look at my daughter and, and I, she got it. It was like that. I could look at my middle son and he would almost laugh at me. It was completely different idea. So again, uh, the harsher punishment had to come. The correction had to come that way. Again, there was a reason for it. It was so we could be brought in line with what needs to happen. And God does the same for us. He wants us to, to fall in line with what he's given us. He wants us to, to follow him and to be faithful. And there are times we have to be corrected. We must learn to treat one another, again, along these same principles and mentalities. Not everyone can take the same type of criticism. Not everyone can be corrected the same way. So again, we've got to understand that. And regardless, we must know it's done through love. You know, I can recall and think about 
One of the pastors I had in my life who corrected me on something. There was something in my life that was pulling me away that I was going down the wrong path. And honestly, he pulled me in the office and really got a hold of me. He was not very polite about it. I say polite. He was very firm, shall we say. He was like, look, you need to fix this. And I'm so thankful that I had a pastor that did that. I respect that man. That man preached for my ordination. I respected him and loved him that much. That he was willing to say, you know what, this is hard. And I don't like talking to people. But he pulled me in and gave me what I needed to correct me and get me in line where I needed to be. Luke chapter 17 and verse number 3 says, Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. We've got to make sure we get to all the way to the end of that verse. We sometimes want to stop and just rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. But after you've been rebuked, there's the idea of repenting. But even more so, the idea of forgiveness. That's what God has shown us. And that's what we must do as well. The pastor must rebuke sharply with the intent to restore them with sound doctrine. As the end of verse number 13 says, restore them uh, with sound faith. The reason God corrects us is to put us back in line where we need to be, to follow him. We should want God to correct us. We, we should, uh, again, desire this idea of being brought back to where we need to be. These early believers were being pulled in a variety of different directions. They were told one thing. They were told fables. They were told different things that were not commands of God and said, you know, if you don't follow this and you're not right. And again, we've got to make sure we understand sound doctrine. What does the Bible say? What does it have for us? And know it. This is why I'm very adamant during service, have your Bible open, reading along with. Read your scriptures yourself. Take notes. Don't take what I say. But go home and study it to make sure, hey, you need to hold me accountable. And if you're not, then who is? Well, yes, I know God is. But as believers, we should be following along. And we should study it for ourselves to know what is being said is right. Now, I hope I never go off track. I hope I don't get that way. But again, at the same time, we've got to be faithful following God and what his word tells us. I want our church to be as godly and as perfect as possible. But I know in reality, we're full of sinners, each and every one of us. And it's those times when we can confess to God. Lord, help me today. Help me to follow your will. None of us are perfect, but we should still strive to serve the Lord as best we can. God has called us to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with everything we have inside of us. We've got to learn to follow God. That's what the church should be filled with. We understand we're filled with mistakes and errors, but hey, I'm doing my very best. And that needs to be our mentality. Realize we all have problems, but our purpose in this church should be to worship the Lord. I hope that's why you're here this morning. I hope that's why you take time to study your Bible. I hope that's the reason you pray. As I want to study and I want to draw close to the Lord, I want to follow Him as best I can. If that's not your desire this morning, what is it? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. 